0: Every year, on the fourth Thursday of November, millions of Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is exactly what it sounds like, a holiday based around giving thanks for anything you have that's worth being thankful for. Family, friends, shelter, belongings, food, pets. Thanksgiving also involves a large meal, usually revolving around a turkey surrounded by foods like corn, sweet potatoes, green beans, stuffing, and pumpkin pie. Many people have what they call Friendsgiving, which is a Thanksgiving meal just with friends. People have potlucks at work, and children have parties at school. Elementary school children often put on a play telling the story of Thanksgiving, how indigenous people and colonists lived in harmony, helping each other with crops and hunting, culminating in the colonists inviting the Native Americans for a large feast, solidifying their friendship and giving thanks for the success of the colony. I have distinct memories of being a young child and having teachers assign either Pilgrim or Indian to each student. As an aside, I will not be referring to Native Americans as Indians, as it is offensive and hurtful to many Native American people. But as a child, I didn't know any better, and apparently neither did my very white private school. Anyway, if you were a pilgrim, you created a vest from a brown paper sack, decorating it however you wanted. If you were a Native American, you created a headdress, from bright construction paper. If the weather was nice, we would go to a park together as a class and pretend to either be pilgrims or Native Americans. Obviously, being Native meant running around, hooping and hollering, and generally acting uncivilized. There's a lot to unpack here, and as much as I'd like to just throw away the whole suitcase, talking about the myth of the first Thanksgiving is a conversation we really need to have. In 1690, a group of people sailed from England in the hopes of creating a new life and escaping the oversight of the Church of England. The Pilgrims landed on the unsettled shores of North America, forming a colony they named Plymouth Plantation. However, the conditions in what would become New England proved challenging, and the winters were bitter and dangerous. Luckily for the Pilgrims, there were friendly tribes of Native Americans living nearby who were willing to help out the struggling colonists. A native man named Squanto was especially indispensable in helping the Pilgrims survive, teaching them a planting technique very different from the row planting the English were used to. Squanto taught the Pilgrims to plant a fish head in the ground as fertilizer, and then to plant corn in the middle of a ring of beans and squash seeds. These three plants were referred to by the Native Americans as the Three Sisters, and were grown together because the corn gave the beans something to grow on, sand's trellis, and the squash creeped across the ground, preventing weeds. The Native Americans also helped the pilgrims prepare for the extreme temperatures of the New England winter, Ensuring they had appropriate shelter for themselves and their livestock, effective hunting skills for the New England wildlife, and stores of firewood and food. The first Thanksgiving was a celebration of the successful harvest, likely an event that occurred in September or October. The pilgrims recognized the immense support they had received from their Native American neighbors and invited them to Plymouth Colony for a celebratory feast. The pilgrims worked hard to prepare a feast for around a hundred people, and used the feast as a chance to further solidify their friendship with the kind natives. There you have it, the story of the first Thanksgiving, except this telling of the story is kind of a a two-truths-and-a-lie situation. Also, the relationship between the pilgrims and local Native Americans did not end at the Thanksgiving feast, and considering Native Americans ended up forced from their lands by colonists and a blossoming U.S. government, clearly there is some nuance that isn't being addressed. The first records of the first Thanksgiving come from two sources, one being a letter written in December 1621 by colonist Edward Winslow, and the second being an account written by Plymouth Governor William Bradford in his History of the Colony, written around 20 years after the First Thanksgiving occurred. So, let's talk about the true story of the First Thanksgiving. In November 1620, around 100 pilgrims landed on the shores of what would become Plymouth Plantation. The original destination of the Pilgrims was near the Hudson River in New York, but the rocky coast and bad weather pushed them to Cape Cod for shelter. Showing a great amount of respect for the land they had just arrived on, the Pilgrims dug up Native American food caches and graves, taking anything they thought was valuable. Then they moved on to what would become known as Plymouth, The land was mostly cleared and easy to settle as it had been home to the Patuxet tribe who had been wiped out by an epidemic. The pilgrims felt this was a great blessing to them with William Bradford commenting that he felt the mass indigenous deaths were a stepping stone to sharing the word of God in the new land. Another colonist, Thomas Morton, believed the deaths were part of a holy ethnic cleansing, paving the way for a civilized land fit for proper Englishmen and places of Christian worship. It was already late in the year when the Pilgrims landed, so they did not have time to plant crops or truly prepare for the looming winter. Most of the first winter at Plymouth relied on food and supplies that had come over on the Mayflower with the Pilgrims, as well as shelter that had to be put up quickly. The first winter the Pilgrims experienced was brutal and marked by disease and death. Around half of the Pilgrims did not survive the first winter, with women being the hardest hit, leaving only four married women in the colony out of the approximately 20 who came to the colony on the Mayflower. The local Native Americans... The Wampanoag tribe saw the struggles of the colonists and sent a representative named Samoset, who was a visiting leader of the Abenaki, to meet with the colonists. Samoset had had dealings with Englishmen previously, so he had some knowledge of the English language. He was able to communicate with the colonists, but due to his limited knowledge of the language, knew he would need a better interpreter, and so he called on Tisquantum, more commonly known as Squanto. Squanto was the last of the Patuxet tribe. He had been taken to Europe as a slave, and during his travels he had learned fluent English. He had escaped slavery and managed to get onto a ship headed back to America, finding his way home, but his family gone. Squanto acted as an interpreter between the Pilgrims and the surrounding tribes, helping them draft a peace and protection treaty. He taught the colonists the Three Sisters gardening method, which they promptly abandoned for the less successful row planting. The Wampanoag regularly lived in excess of 80 years to the 40 to 50 years the Englishmen usually lived. It seems like the fact that Native Americans had been in the area for around 12,000 years, coupled with the long life expectancy, success of the local tribes, and the complex social and government structures the Native Americans had created, should have made the colonists more willing to take advice. But that was not to be. Even knowing all of these things, they continued to believe The Native Americans were little more than uncivilized savages, the perfect pawns to further the colonists' goal of a new England. The treaty the Native Americans and Pilgrims worked out involved both parties providing protection to the other in times of need. Massasoit, the Wampanoag chief, knew the colonists had guns, which were a relatively new technology to the Native Americans and he knew the power of them. The Pilgrims knew that the Native Americans knew the area far better than they did, and so, even with guns, they were at risk of attack from less friendly tribes. The Protection Treaty led to the first Thanksgiving happening. After a successful harvest, the Pilgrims were celebrating and began shooting off their guns into the air. Massasoit, hearing the gunfire, gathered around 90 of his warriors, and they set out for the colony. When they arrived, they found that the pilgrims were celebrating and preparing for a large feast, and they were invited in. Massasoit sent some of his men out to hunt for the feast, and they returned with multiple deer. Since there were only four women left in the colony, and over a hundred people to feed, the women of the colony were assisted by children and adolescents, servants, and likely some single men to prepare all of the food. The celebration lasted for three days, and while wild turkey was probably on the menu, other foods that would likely have been served are venison, shellfish, fish, summer squash, pumpkins and other winter squash, Carrots, leeks, cranberries, cabbage, walnuts, and other local wild and domestic crops. The Pilgrims and Native Americans also likely played games and showed each other their weapons skills. So, it's safe to say that the first Thanksgiving was likely a pretty good time, although the racism the Pilgrims had toward anyone who wasn't white and European ran deep. Even if they kept it under wraps during the celebration, it's probable that it was an open secret. After the first Thanksgiving, tensions between the pilgrims and Native Americans began to rise, with the colonists taking more and more land, forcing their laws and punishments on the Native Americans, and attempting to force conversion to Christianity among the locals. While the pilgrims may have left England due to a desire for religious freedom, they felt that religious freedom should only apply to their own beliefs. What a shocker. Anyway, as these tensions began to rise, Squanto, for his part, began to play both sides of the field. He knew that the local tribes feared the power of the more advanced weapons the colonists had, and so he began telling people within the tribes that if they paid him tribute, he would put in a good word with the colonists to ensure that if anything happened, the colonists would not harm them. He began telling the colonists that certain people or tribes were plotting against them, even going so far as to attempt to get the colonists to pursue action against the so-called conspirators. Unfortunately for Squanto, Massasoit and the colonists figured out his game, and Massasoit demanded that the colonists hand him over for execution. The colonists knew that they needed Squanto as an interpreter to maintain relationships with other local tribes, but the peace treaty they had signed meant they were obligated to give Squanto to the Wampanoag. Fortunately for Squanto, just as the colonists were preparing to hand him over, a ship appeared in the distance, and the colonists believed the Native Americans may have teamed up with the French, and so they refused to hand over Squanto until they knew who was on the ship. It turned out the ship was bringing more colonists to start a new colony, as well as food and supplies for Plymouth. Everyone was then distracted by preparations for the upcoming winter, And in the spring, the new colonists were having issues with local tribes that required Squanto's interpreting skills. And so he was spared Massasoit's wrath. But Squanto was not long for this world. And in 1622, when he was approximately 37 years old, he became sick from a mysterious illness. And within just a few days, he was dead. Even without Squanto's betrayal of both the colonists and the Native Americans, tensions were high due to the Native Americans recognizing the unbalanced way the Peace and Protection Treaty was working out in the colonists' favor. As time went on, Massasoit became angry with the colonists due to them continuing to take more than was right or fair, and their overall disrespect of the tribes and the land but he did not break his commitment to the treaty. In 1661, Massasoit died at the age of 81, leaving his son Medicom as chief. Metacom, who was known to the colonists as Philip, becoming known as King Philip when he became leader of the Wampanoag, also was angry, and he was not as dedicated to the treaty his father had made with the colonists. In 1621, the colonists may have dined with the Native Americans, but by 1675, a full blown war had broken out between the Wampanoag and the colonists, later known as King Philip's War. The war had mass casualties, with settlements in modern day Massachusetts and Rhode Island being attacked by the Wampanoag, and colonists and Native American supporters from Massachusetts. Rhode Island, and Connecticut becoming involved. When the war ended, around 2,500 colonists, approximately 30% of the population of colonial New England at the time, and over 5,000 Native Americans, including around 40% of the Wampanoag tribe, were dead, including women, children, and elders. The war ended in 1678, when Medicom was betrayed by an informant to the colonists. He was executed by being drawn and quartered with his head placed on a pike, where it stayed for around 20 years. At the end of King Philip's War, the colonists stole a nine-foot-long artifact known as a wampum belt. The Massasoit were known for making wampum, which are a type of bead created from clam shells. The beads are known for their shiny white and purple shades, and were used to create wampum belts. A wampum belt was used by many Native American tribes to document history as it happened, including wars, marriages, treaties, deaths, and other important events. The wampum belt stolen by the colonists was considered a community belt, telling the story of many important events over many decades. It has been described as being as important to the Wampanoag as the crown jewels are to Great Britain. Recently, a new wampum belt was created by the Wampanoag to not only tell more of their story, but also to show people what they're looking for if they happen to come across the missing belt. The new belt is currently touring in the UK with an exhibit of Wampanoag art and artifacts called Wampum, Stories from the Shells of Native America. So, I guess the story of the first Thanksgiving is kind of warm and fuzzy, if you ignore the racist attitudes of the colonists toward the Native Americans The colonists' belief that they had been sent by God to build a new society on someone else's land, destroying parts of the natural order in the process, and pretty much everything that happened after the first Thanksgiving. Since many tribes have been forced from their homelands for centuries by colonists and then the U.S. government, and the fact that many Americans consider the U.S. to be a nation founded on Christian principles— and not a nation founded on betrayal and abuse, goes to show just how little the voices of Native Americans have mattered since the arrival of colonists, and how little the voices continue to matter today. Even in the 1800s and 1900s, pressure was still on Native Americans to assimilate, leaving behind their cultural identities. In the early 1900s, many indigenous children were sent to boarding schools for Native American children to help further assimilate them into, quote, American culture, very much like the Canadian government sending children to residential schools. The wrongs done to Native Americans by the colonists has led to a day of mourning annually at Plymouth as well as accusations from Native Americans of intentional glossing over cultural and physical genocide in order to maintain comfort with the Thanksgiving holiday. Some Native Americans hold an un-Thanksgiving day to honor their murdered ancestors, pray, and fast. Not all Native Americans feel the same way about Thanksgiving, however, and choose to incorporate thanksgiving into their own cultural beliefs by comparing it to Wopila, a celebration of giving thanks that is important to the Native Americans of the Great Plains. It's worth saying, though, that giving thanks has always been an extremely important part of Native American culture, with thanks being given to nature, spirits, animals, animals and anything considered by Native Americans to be life-giving or important. It's hard to imagine giving up Thanksgiving as a holiday if you've celebrated it your whole life, especially since it's usually a given day off of work, where you have the opportunity to see family, and a reminder to actively work on gratefulness and thanks for all of the things we have. But it's also important to recognize that there is a history associated with the holiday. And it's a history that can be painful and demeaning to many Native Americans. The colonists betrayed their Native friends in many ways. And once the Native Americans realized too late, they had been betrayed. They attempted to fight back, being demonized by the colonists because of it. Attempting to recognize the truths behind the holiday of Thanksgiving has been viewed by some as an attempt to rewrite history or to change things that they're comfortable with. Unfortunately, it isn't rewriting history. It's correcting the record and bringing uncomfortable truths forward. Growth and recognition of past wrongs rarely lead to change without discomfort. The day after Thanksgiving is National Native American Heritage Day, but this day is often overshadowed by the excesses of capitalism, thanks to Black Friday. So it's a very small win for the Native American community who deserves far more. Recognizing our wrongs and working to promote cultural respect and recognition while coming to terms with the fact that people many of us were taught were good, respectable people, were actually wicked and deceitful, and used religion and racism to excuse their behavior. Dan Brooke, a professor at UC Berkeley, has called the American view of Thanksgiving cultural and political amnesia. He believes, quote, we do not have to feel guilty, but we do need to feel something. Thanks for joining me for another episode of WISE. Please help me continue to make content by becoming a patron at patreon.com wisepodcast which allows you to gain access to special patron-only content. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at a wise podcast, or email me at a wise at gmail dot com.